you got to understand, there's nobody can redeem mankind. There's nobody can redeem the, 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 the world. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone worthy to redeem Adam's race? Is anyone worthy? Peter, can you do it? Uh, is it Daniel, can you do it? Nana, can you do it? Is there any man worthy that can come and shed his blood and make a payment to God for you and me and our detestable, despicable sins of the world? No. And so right here, it is just awesome. Heaven is looking and final redemption of mankind is coming. The title deed of the earth, the, the redemption of everything right here that we're seeing in the book of Revelation. And listen to what he says. And I saw in the right hand of him, God, who sat on the throne, a scroll written in side and on the back sealed with seven seals and then I saw strong a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it you're doomed man you're doomed you're doomed you're banished you're outside of the garden you are forever lost here and, 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 and so I wept much he says, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. And I can bring you that good news today on resurrection morning. Do not weep. Behold the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He came from David's lineage. He is a man and he is God. And so he can redeem the world of the curse of sin has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose the seals. And I looked and behold in the midst of the throne of the four and living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain having seven horns, seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God that sent out into all the earth. And then he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll the four and living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each having a heart and a golden bowl full of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song why can they sing a new song because we've been redeemed folks we've been redeemed there's a new song we're not what we were we've been bought with a price we've been redeemed and they said worthy worthy are you Worthy is the new song they sing. Not about us. Worthy are you, Lord. Worthy are you, Lord, to take the scroll and to open the seals for you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And you made us kings and priests unto our God and we shall reign on the earth. Now, if that doesn't incite you, I have to wonder, do you know him? And I have to wonder, do you know what you've been redeemed and ransomed from? And that ain't called being Pentecostal. That's called being a believer who knows what you've been redeemed from. Hallelujah. It's going to demand praise. It's going to demand a shout. It's going to demand a clap. It's going to demand a dance. Some of us that don't know how, you're going to cut up when you get there. Amen? You're going to cut up when you see the Lamb 
of God who's slain from the foundation of the world. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, it's good to be in God's house, and it's good to see God's alive, and all of you are alive. Amen. So let's pray, and let's go into the Word of God this morning. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, that there's one found worthy. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone worthy? Oh, hell thought they had you. The grave thought it had you. Oh, Lord, even the disciples may have doubted and thought you were gone. Oh, but those women came early to the tomb. Oh, God, they came running with the great news. He's not here. He is risen. He is risen. And we proclaim that to this world. God, this Easter, this Resurrection Sunday, He is alive and He is risen. Hallelujah. And God, you want to resurrect People with your resurrection life and power here today. Transform us and change us from image to image and glory to glory, even by the Spirit of God today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Revelation 13, 8. I want to read one more scripture here. I, I was really seeking God, and this, this uh, day can kind of uh, be tough on preachers, to be honest with you, it should be the easiest uh, sermons of the year, but it often makes the most pressure on you. Like you got to come deliver something, like you, and it makes you want to add something more to the message that's already here that is already great enough and, and should never have to be changed or, or, or made complex. And so uh, I was really just uh, in that mode of fighting the flesh, and, and, and I decided to stay with what I've been preaching because you can't better than what we've been preaching since the beginning of the year. God's been telling us to preach on foundation, preach on covenant, and then now we're preaching on the seven statements of Christ. And I'm saying, but God, I'm not on it. It's finished. I should be on it. It's finished by Friday and we should be all. And God said, just slow down and keep going. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to keep going. And today we're going to look at the last words of Jesus on the cross. And we're going to look at my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I, I think it's going to be just, just fine and just right for today's message uh, that God wants to give to us. So um, let, let, let me pray. I, did I just pray? Well, Father, one more time, bless this message. God, I'm excited. I'm hyped. I'm ready. And so I can't remember if I prayed, I'll pray again. God, bless the word and bless this time together in this house. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Revelation 13, 8. I remember the prayer now. But uh, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain. And I want you to look at those words, underline them, highlight them, whatever, put them in your memory. Slain from the foundation of the world. Slain from the foundation of the world. Now, everything that, 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 that we're going to do today is, is Jesus is pointing us back to something in the Word of God where he is, he, 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 these first three statements, if you remember the first words Jesus put on the cross, or that he made on the cross, we said he's preaching the greatest sermon ever preached from this cross. And these are words that are not just haphazardly or randomly being made. These are words that are being given to him and placed in his heart by the Father because he said, I do nothing of myself. I 
do what the Father has sent me to do and what He's told me to do. My, my, my meat and my food is to do the will of the Father and, and to do what He sent me to do. And so we looked at the, the first three statements of Christ. He comes on the cross about 9 o'clock or thereafter. From about 9 to about 3, He's on the cross. And we see these first, these first three statements come in rapid cessation. And they're dealing with us. They're dealing with us. Those first three statements are absolutely dealing with mankind. And we looked at the first statement. It was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he's going all the way back to Adam's original sin. He's going back and atoning for the original sin and saying, God, Father, forgive humanity. Forgive Adam's race. Forgive them for the sins that they have committed. And then he says uh, reconciliation. He's establishing reconciliation. He's just, he, the, the, there's this conversation that happens real quickly between these thieves that are, uh, he's hanging between. And there, BJ, he's saying, uh, they, they begin to go back and forth. And one of them eventually turns to the Messiah, turns to Jesus, recognizes something about him. And he says, hey, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says something very interesting there. He said, now because forgiveness has been established, he says, today, right now, you will be with me in paradise. That's what the word means today. It means right this very moment, you are reestablished with God. You have a, you're reconciled with God. You can call God your father. And that's what's taking place in this covenant between his son and the father on the cross that we couldn't do. God is establishing this and fulfilling the covenant on our behalf. And so he's, he's got forgiveness. He's got reconciliation for us. And that word we said paradise literally means Eden. You are back in an Edenic relationship with the father. And then last week we saw so powerfully, if you haven't seen it, go watch it because powerfully he looks down off that cross and he says, woman, behold thy son. Son, son, behold thy mother. And we saw that he, he uses that word woman for a very specific reason. Why did he not just say mama, mother, a term of endearment? But he used the word woman because he's looking all the way back to Genesis 3.15 where he said, the seed of the woman will produce me and I will crush the head of Satan. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm going all the way back to that promise in the beginning and to through these lineage of women, starting with Eve, all the way through to Mary. I am bringing the Messiah, and the Messiah is here, and He's dying on the cross for you, and He's, and he's giving you forgiveness, He's giving you reconciliation, and right now, He is putting you in a new family called the family of God. And the family of God, the first commandment to that first family of God that fell in the Garden of Eden was, eat this, and, 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 and you'll live... But, but, but don't eat it. I mean, eat this and you will die. Uh, and the new commandment now for this new family is uh, you're in a commandment of love. Love. Love God and love other people. And he's shedding his love abroad in our hearts. And he's causing this family to never, ever fail again. The gates of hell will not prevail against this in this room. Amen. Hallelujah. And so he made those three statements that relate to us. And then from about... After these statements were made, there's about four hours that pass on that cross of very gross darkness. 
I mean, darkness like comes on. They've seen people crucified. And then out of that darkness comes these next four statements again in rapid succession again as he yields up the ghost and dies. But we're going to notice something very interesting about these last four statements. The first three had to do with us. These last four are quotes from Scripture. He goes back into the Old Testament and he brings all of them as quotes from Scripture because he's pointing us back back to this book and saying, hey, this is the plan of my father and you can stand upon it. Every bit of it is truth. What you're seeing played out here was, was, was fashioned and formed before the foundation of the world. So you can check it. You can take it to the bank. What you're seeing here, God has established. And so he points them back to the Word of God and back to the Scripture. And let me show you what would have happened that day uh, and by giving you a quiz. Let me give you a quiz right now. And you're allowed to talk out. If you're not used to talking out in church, you can talk out right here. I'm giving you permission. So here we go. So if I were to say, God so loved the world that he... And where is that found? If I were to say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, where would that be found? John 1. If I were to say, the Lord is my, I shall not want, where is that found? And if I were to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Psalms 22. One. And so these people on that day, when Jesus emerges out of this time of gross darkness, even though they don't have scripture and verse to say John 3.16 or Psalms 22, they would have known when they heard every rabbi, every scribe, every person there that knew the word of God, when they began to hear this cry off of that cross, it would have been just like me citing to you, John 3.16, and you finishing it. They knew exactly. Their minds immediately went to the scripture. And the beautiful part about this scripture is this scripture has more. I don't know why we don't preach on it more, because it has more references to the cross than in any other chapter and verse in the Bible. There are about nine, at least nine references minimum in this chapter of Scripture. And it is obvious every one of them is talking about Jesus and the Messiah on the cross dying. And that's exactly what is going on in these passages of Scripture. Darkness has covered the land now. And the first three statements have been made. They were for you and they were for me. He's established this covenant. He's, that's what he's doing. This is the new covenant that he is establishing for us on the cross. That's why he's on the cross. That is what he's establishing upon this cross and what he's doing. It's been fashioned. It's been planned since before the foundation of the world. And all of a sudden, these men have seen people die. There's a few people there. There's these hardened criminals there. There's some Roman soldiers there, and the world has turned dark in this part of the earth there, so dark that they can't hardly work or they can't hardly do anything. We're going to see these clouds that begin to form there. It gets so crazy because they've seen men die before, but never like this. Something is changing in the atmosphere. Something is happening in the area that they've never seen before, and they're starting to wonder, what have we done? What is going on? There's something different going on here, so much so that 
Eventually, even the centurion cries out, man, this guy really is the Son of God. I've never seen a man die like this. There's something different about this man. So this darkness has come upon the earth like we've not seen before. The rocks are going to split. The, the, the veil is going to be rent in two from top to bottom. And, and, and all sorts of things are going on in this time on the cross as this darkness comes and as he emerges out of this darkness. Well, when he comes out of this darkness, then come these next first statements of which today we begin the first of those last four when he cries out, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? And everybody knew it was Psalms 22 that he's talking about. And he's going to steer them into the word of God to find the answer for what is taking place in that very moment. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing to us. That's what he's doing there because everybody knew what the psalm was and what he was quoting and they can see what is taking place is the plan of God. Nobody's killed this man. It's here in Psalms 22. This man is laying down his life himself. He lays it down and he picks it itself up. It's not the Romans that are doing it. It's not the Jews that are doing it. It is, it is himself that is laying down his life and becoming the eternal sacrifice for you and me is perfectly executed by God. It was planned before the creation of the world. And it's a picture of yours and my redemption. That's what's taking place here. It's a what we would call substitutional sacrifice. And there's three Greek words that, that go along with the word redemption here. And they are this. The first word is the word uh, ag agoreso. And it, and it simply means this. It means to, to, to go to the marketplace, agoreso. It means to go to the marketplace and to purchase. To make a purchase and to purchase everything on behalf of these people. It would be like, it would be like um, the Puritans said it like this. It would be like uh, you go into the marketplace, somebody, and they go in there and they find all the birds in the marketplace. And they decide, Dustin, I'm not going to buy one bird. I'm going to buy all the birds. So I go to the hawks. I go to the sparrows. I go to the fowls. I go to this one. I go to that one. I go to the doves. I go to every bird. I want that one. I want that one. I want that tiny little one over there. I want that little runt right there. I want that big one right there. And it was be going to the marketplace and you purchase and pay everything that needs to be paid so you can take those birds with you and ex agoreso means you pick up the birds and the cages and you leave the store because you have taken them out of bondage, you have taken them out of the place of captivity, you have taken them out of the place and that's exactly what Jesus is doing on this cross. He is doing agoreso. He is going into the gates of hell. He's going into the very captivity of Satan. He is purchasing us back all of mankind, all of humanity. He is leaving with what he has and now he is going to the hilltop and that's what this last word of redemption means, lutra, and it means not only just to get them, take them out, purchase them, redeem them, ransom them, but to take them up to a hilltop and open cage after cage after cage after cage and let them fly and go free. You're free. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen. 
And that's what Jesus has done. And that's what this psalm is pointing. That's what he's pointing us back to the scriptures. The word of God here. This is the first time we hear him and he's pointing us back to the word of God and saying everything that you're seeing on this cross has been talked about in the word of God. You ought to recognize it. You ought to recognize the blood being shed. You ought to recognize the sacrifices. You ought to recognize everything in the word of God that has pointed to this day, me hanging on this cross, I am augurescing you. I'm, I'm ex-augurescing you. I'm lutra you. I'm coming. I'm purchasing you. I'm taking you out of the marketplace of bondage and sin and disgust. And I'm setting you free. And that's why Paul said, if you got set free in Galatians, why would you ever go back under that slavery and under that bondage again? Amen. That's what he said. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm. Then do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He's saying God would deliver His people by the blood. And that's what He's pointing us back. And that's what Jesus' cry on the cross is pointing them back to. It's making a statement. Everything in the Word of God is pointed to this day. My God is going to deliver you today. That's what this is all about. On this cross, you can take it to the bank, you can stand on it, and you can rejoice in the sacrifice that is hanging on this cross. 50 plus chapters are dedicated in the Word of God. He's pointing them back to the Word. Their minds, Mark, could have gone back to Egypt. Hold on a minute. We were in bondage. We were, we were in slavery. We were in the marketplace of Pharaoh. He had us under his clutches. We were taskmasters. We were laborers. We were being squashed by that because of our sin. And all of a sudden a deliverer came and, and God instituted Passover and they took a little lamb and they took that lamb, one each for every household, took it home, watched it, looked at it, made sure that it didn't develop a spot in those 14 or more days, made sure that that lamb was spotless, that there was nothing there. And then they would take that little lamb and they would slit its throat and they would cover the door and the mantle and the lintel and the blood. And when the death angel came, the Bible says that because when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And death was averted. And that's what the redemption is all about. The wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Death was averted. Not because you went to church on Easter. Not because you did something good and you taught a class or you preached a sermon. But death was averted. Because when I see the blood of an innocent lamb and sacrifice, I will pass over you. Amen. And then... Those 50 plus chapters about the blood, about redemption, point to the tabernacle and the temple that were instituted and the mercy seat that was set up and the day of the year that they would go inside with this lamb again, these lambs, and they would cut them and slit their throats and they're innocent and we're guilty and the people would wait in their camp 
And see, is God, what's He going to do? They would literally tie, uh, you don't think your sin is bad? They would literally tie a rope around the man's leg that went into the most holy place. Because if they found a spot on that lamb, that man may not come back out of that place. He's probably going to fall over and die for offering something so sick to God that he would fall over. And they, if they didn't hear the bells on his garment ring and they would give a tug and if he's dead weight in there they would have to pull him out of that place but if he offered a sacrifice that was pleasing and acceptable to God he would come out of that place the people would be watching they would be waiting are my sins going to be forgiven I looked at pornography last night oh my goodness I denied the Lord oh my goodness I told a lie I talked about a church member am I going to be forgiven again and when the priest would come out and he would have a smile and he would say hey all is well a shout would go out of the camp the Shekinah glory would fall on the temple and everybody would celebrate we are forgiven we are atoned for worthy is the lamb worthy is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world and then in our sins and then they would take a scapegoat lastly and they would take that scapegoat they would take two of these goats two perfect goats inspect them again they would cast a lot one of them would have to die and his blood be shed and the other one then they would come and they would do something and they're not imparting their sins like stacking them all up on his head they are imputing it's a word you ought to go study and look up. It's a word called imputing. That means that lamb doesn't become there. Like he's not a sinner. It's imputed to him. They lay hands, pray, and put their sins upon this lamb, impute it to him. And the Bible says that this lamb, then a strong man comes, takes that, that goat way off into the wilderness and carries the sins away. And again, the people watch and they look. And when this man lowers it down a cliff and another cliff and so far away that they can never be come back onto the people and accuse them again, the sins have been removed and carried away as far as the east is from the west and that's exactly what is happening here well Revelation 13 8 tells us that the cross was the next thing to come and these people are looking back now at the word of God they're looking back at redemption they're looking at the plan of God and here Jesus is on the cross their minds are going there Jesus is the lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world they're remembering things like I lay down my life and I'll take it up again I lay it down nobody takes it from me I take it back up again. And that's exactly what is happening here because Jesus is called the righteous one. Only two people have been righteous fully righteous on this earth, Adam. And the Bible tells us that Adam sinned away that righteousness, but the second Adam came and he lived it perfectly. They inspected this lamb for three and a half years. They looked at him. They watched him. They were going to see if he was what he said he was. Is there a spot in him? Is there a blemish in this lamb? Is this really the lamb of God who comes, John said, to take away the sins of the world? And he's standing there at the trial and Pilate says, I find no fault in this lamb. What should we do? He's innocent. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And what we're referring to and what these people would have known was being referred to was what's called in the Word of God, a couple more theological terms, penal substitution. 
And it's simply this. It means He died in your place. It means you deserve. It means the judge is standing right here and we bring you up and we bring your case. And you're a murderer and you're a liar and you're a thief and you're a fornicator and you're all of the above. And the judge ought to lift the gavel and ought to come down with the sentence guilty as charged. Send him to death. Haul him off where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth until somebody steps in and cries mercy. I will pay the price. But you've done nothing. You've done absolutely nothing. You have no sin. You're not a murderer. You're not a liar. You're not a thief. You're none of these things. I don't care. I will pay the price for him and the law according to the law of God he has to accept that done go free you're innocent you sentenced to death and that's exactly what happened he became your substitute the people should die but the judge says you can take their place so he comes and he pays the price so that you and I can go free Now, can I give you proof? Because there's something I used to teach, and probably some of you in this room taught it. And I've learned through studying penal uh, this and the covenants and several other things. Most of us think when we hear this psalm, we always say, well, God covered that lamb in all that sin. And now God could not look upon him. He turned his face from him. But can I tell you that's not in the word of God? Can I tell you that is not a true statement? Because if he had turned his face on that, then he couldn't have looked on Adam after he sinned, and he couldn't look on you, BJ, after your failure, and he couldn't look on me after my failure. So so let me, if if I could show you that in the Word of God, would you believe me then? Amen, a couple of you. A couple of you don't care, but, 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 but if I could show you where that's not a true statement from the Word of God, where it's right the opposite, that God is His character, He's showing us this on the cross. He's bringing us to this statement on purpose, and He's showing us that, that, that because that would mean if we stumble and fall, then God can't look on us now. Go to Psalms 22, and let's look at this. Turn with me there, because I don't know if I have all these on the Scripture, so go in your Bible and look at this. Stay with me just a minute longer and we'll bring this thing to a close. Don't you love God's Word? Hallelujah. We're going to convince you that God did not turn His face from His Son when He was dying. There's nine references to the cross here. Psalms 22, verse 6. Starting with, He says, But I am a worm, and no man a reproach of men, and despised by the people. Verse 7, all those who see me ridicule me and they laugh at me. Isn't that what took place at the cross? Isn't that exactly what took place? They shoot out their lip. Hey, if you're the Son of God, why don't you come down there and save us and save uh, yourself? They shake their head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let Him rescue Him. Let Him deliver Him since He delights in Him. Hey, if God delights in you, then why don't you, if you're His little son, then why don't you... Talk to him and get him. Why is he doing this to you? And they gape at me and their mouths are like a raging and roaring lion. And then in verse 14, this is what crucifixion does. I'm poured out like water 
All my bones are out of joint. That's a perfect picture of the cross. That's what it does to you. My heart is like wax. That's what happens to your heart. That's what happens. It is melted within me because the cross pulls your innermost being into the most agonizing position. It's the greatest torture on the face of the earth. The Romans had just absolutely perfected this torture mechanism and it's the worst torture you could go through. They, they, they knew just how to leave you on there long enough to agonize and to hurt and to cut your back so that when you had to push up to catch a grip, you would just rake your back against the, the splinters of the cross and just agonizing pain. You can't breathe. You're pushing up on nails. Just piercing pain going through your body. And then he says, uh, for the dogs have surrounded me in verse 16. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and they have pierced my feet. Is that not the cross, folks? They have pierced my hands and they have pierced my feet. These people know what he's reciting. They know the picture here. They know Jesus is taking them back to the Word to show them exactly what the Father is doing, what has been planned by them from the foundation of the world for redemption for you and me. I'm purchasing you. I'm buying you back from the marketplace. I'm setting you free up here. And then they divided my garments among themselves, verse 18, and for my clothing they did not cast lots. Isn't that what the Romans did? Hey, don't tear that. We'll, we'll, we'll gamble for it. Oh, I want that. No, I want that. Oh, we'll, we'll cast lots. We'll gamble for it and we'll decide who gets it. And that's exactly what they did. And you go on and on through this verse. But now I want you to come to verse 24 so I can make my point. Here at verse 24, and I want you to see just how strong covenant relationship is between the Father, between the Son, and between us. Listen to what he says. For he, God has not despised nor adhorred the affliction that is going on on the cross. He planned it before the foundation of the world, Jojo. He knew. He knew his son was going to do it. He delights in him. He is delighted that he's going to the cross. He is delighting that he's going to punish sin. Here he is. Here He says, for he, God, has not despised what's going on here, nor adhorred the affliction of the afflicted, which is Christ, nor has he hidden or turned his face from him. But when Jesus cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He heard him. He heard him. He heard him in his worst affliction. That means to give, the word heard means to give absolute attention and to bring an answer. To give absolute attention. Son, you have, my face is not turned from you. And you have my undivided attention. And I'm going to answer you. He's assuring him of the covenant. He's assuring him, I make covenant with you that I will not depart from you. And I can prove it, the same thing happens. Who's the covenant? Jesus is the covenant. And Jesus is there in the praetorium. Jesus is on trial. And Peter is outside warming himself by the fire. And all of a sudden there's a little servant girl that's out there and a couple other people. Hey, 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 you talk like a southern boy. You talk like a Galilean. You must be one of his. No. No, I'm not one of his. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, you're that fisherman. 
You're that fisherman that left. And didn't you have a sword in your hand the other night and cut a man's ear off? And go running? I don't know him. I don't know them. Surely you're one of them. I swear I don't know him. In that very moment, the covenant is being held out of the praetorium. And he's walking and he looks. He does not turn his face at the afflicted in the moment that he has failed him the most. And this gives me the greatest comfort today to know when I fail him again and again and again, Joe, that when I fail him, he will not. If he turned his face against the sun, maybe he'll turn his face against me when I fail him. But he does not turn his face. He looks right at Peter as if to say, Peter, I'm not mad at you. I love you. And I hear you. And I will not turn my face from you. And Peter just... You know, they want to write commentaries and say, oh, he scowled at him. He snickered at him. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He looked in love. Peter, I'll never turn my face because of what I'm doing on the cross. I'll never turn my face on you. I don't care how many times you fail. I don't care what kind of mess ups you make or what kind of mistakes. I'm in covenant with you and I will remember the covenant always. I will never break my covenant nor alter my command. And it gives us the assurance that God will look upon us even when we fall. And that's what he's saying there, Peter. It's okay. And that is our God, folks. Even in the worst times of our failure, he is still still looking upon you. His eye is on you. And it was on Jesus on that cross. He never forgot the covenant. He never forgot what He promised before the foundation of the world. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You can get ready, Amber, to come on up. I got one more scripture, Jeremiah 32, verse 40. And you got to go here, man. This is, the, this is the, the, the kicker right here for you and I of what He says. Listen to what He says in Jeremiah 13, this 32. This is the new covenant promise. And this is, He says, I, God, I, God, will make an everlasting covenant. That means it will never disappear. That means you die, it's still going. It will never cease. It will never disappear with them and seal it with the blood of my son. I'm going to lay it out. I'm going to lay out its amazing promises. And that's what he's taking them back to the word when he makes this statement. My God, my God, he's pointing them back to the word of God, to the amazing covenant, to the amazing promises that are sealed with his blood. And here's what he says. I, God, will make an everlasting covenant that I, God, will not Turn away from them to do good. That's you, friend. I, God, will never turn away from doing good to you because my son is paying the price of redemption. He's buying you back and you can go to the bank on it. And like Peter, not even when you fail will I do it. And I can... Mark, and when the women come, run to the tomb. They burst open the doors. He's alive. He is risen. He said, go tell my disciples. And you, Peter, 
and you, Peter. Go tell my disciples, and especially you, Peter. He's alive. He's alive. He'll never turn his face from you. It's this covenant. It's this covenant. And I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Is that not what they did? They went into that upper room. They waited for the promise of God. The day of Pentecost comes. Tongues of fire. Sound of wind. The giving of the Spirit. The outpouring of the Spirit. Oh, tongues coming out of their lips. And they're praising God. And they're changed people. And they're not going to depart from Him. They're going to die. They're going to go to Patmos. They're going to go to their deaths. Because this covenant is that secure. It is that strong. And it is that amazing. And every promise of it leads back to adoration of praise. And that's why Jesus was on the cross. And God did not turn His face. And when He was in the grave on the third day. Because the sacrifice was good and because it was acceptable and because the blood was shed, Israel would stand back. They would wait for the Shekinah glory. And that's exactly what took place. One day passed. Three day, two days passed. Three days passed. God reaches down into that grave with the Shekinah glory and He raises and resurrects His Son for you and me. The glory of God is now alive and the glory of God is now seen of all men and the glory glory of God is now poured out and now He is holy and acceptable to the Father and you are holy and acceptable to the Father. Father, we love You. We thank You so much that God, Your sacrifice of Your Son on that cross, God, it points us back to the Scriptures where we see how atonement, sacrifice, all this was planned and prepared and pointing the way to that day. When Jesus is on that cross, and God, you did not forsake him. God, you did not turn your face on him. In fact, you, God, were in your son reconciling the world to yourself. So you would have had to doubly turn your back on yourself. Because in the power of the Holy Spirit, you were inside of this Christ. And on the third day, He arose with resurrection life and with resurrection power. And because He lives, we can live also. And this same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in us and shall quicken our mortal bodies. And so, God, we thank you that the Lamb died on the cross and that you never turned your back. And because of that, you will never turn your back on me in my failures. Thank you so much for the covenant. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you, Lord, so much that when you walk out, God, that when we walk out of this room today, if there's somebody that doesn't know you, they can walk out of this room with a guarantee that your eye is on them. God, there's people here today and they don't feel like the, God, their sin has separated them from you. And God, their eye, God, your eye, they, they, they feel that, that your eye is not on them. But God, they can leave here. They can leave here, God, with, with, with agoresso, with ex agoresso, and with that lutrid, where they can know, lutru, where they can know that you've set them free. And so, Father, on this resurrection day, God, just if you give us one, 
If you give us one person who will receive this redemption, God, don't let anyone in this room reject their own salvation. Don't let them reject their own salvation. We're all sinners. We all are in front of the judge and scheduled to die for our sins. But Christ jumps in and wants to be the penal substitute. And so God, let the people here let Him today in Jesus' name. Every head bow and every eye closed. I'm going to do this quickly. We're going to sing a song. We're going to take communion. And we're going to dismiss. But if you don't know Jesus Christ today, maybe you said, I didn't understand. That was pretty deep. And a lot of things going on. A lot of words here. It, none of that matters. If you're here today, and you're still in your trespasses and your sins, you've never made atonement, you've never made things right, you've never repented of your sins and asked the Lord to forgive you and, 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 and to wipe your slate clean and to come into your heart, I want to invite you to do that today. I want to invite you right now. Is there one person in here, you say, Brother Brad, I don't understand everything you said, but I know the presence of God is here, and I want Him to look favorably upon me. I want His eye to be upon me. If that's you, would you shoot your hand up today? Would you just raise your hand and say, I want the Lord's eye to be upon me. I don't want to be lost. I want to be this Easter. I want to give my heart to the Lord and I want to know that I know that I know that I'm born again and that I'm in the kingdom and the family of God. If that's you, would you raise your hand up? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for what you've done through the word. I pray it would just resonate in people's hearts today. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah.